Hello, beautiful soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week's episode, taking place in Disability Pride Month, is called The Beauty of Neurodivergence. And this is something that I think a lot about. This is definitely piggybacking off of last week's episode on the spectrum. So if you haven't listened to that, go back a week and listen to it. It's all about my own personal journey with autism, going undiagnosed, finding information in order to feel like I can comfortably self-diagnose because it's pretty hard to get an evaluation as an adult and even then you're not guaranteed a diagnosis because the criteria are limited and um, and specific for one type of person and if you don't fall in that category it can be difficult to get a diagnosis but how I've learned to cope, how I've learned to thrive in my own unique way and how I've come to see being autistic as like this beautiful core of my personality, who I am, every facet of everything I create, the type of friend I am, the type of human being I am in this world, the type of teacher I am, the type of just everything, like my energy here on this planet is as much rooted in my autism as it is my queerness or my gender or my activism, you know, like it's all, it's all entwined to make the beautiful frequency that is me. And I'd like to expand it this week into talking about not just autism, but neurodivergence in general. And, um, and yeah, just get to the... (laughs) The root of the understanding that, once again, we are all unique and beautiful and um, multifaceted, multitudinous manifestations of the universe that created us. And that's amazing. That's something to be celebrated. That's something to be leaned into. That's something to be encouraged in ourselves and in one another. But as always, before we get started, I think I'd like to just take a few grounding breaths with you. I'll give you a a mantra to carry with you this week. If you feel yourself needing some grounding, needing some energy, needing some positive vibes, I'm here for you, my friend. So remember, as we breathe in, we're going to be filling up the whole center of our body from our hips up to our shoulders. You want to feel your belly extend out, your back extend out, your waist extend horizontally, breathing in all directions, slow and steady through your nose and inhale. Remember to hold for a second, to feel that breath energizing your body, to feel it helping you relax, and then exhale slowly 
as if through a straw, intentionally, a little at a time. Inhale. judgmental thought, thinking an angry thought, thinking a harsh or critical thought towards yourself, I challenge you to stop, to recognize that it's happening. If you can, if that feels easy to you, then replace it with a good thought. I'm such an idiot can become... Oops, I made a mistake. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me can become, I'm having a hard day. I'm so 
dumb <laughs> can become, I don't feel good. <laughs> I'm terrible can become, I'm not perfect. And that's okay. As you come back into your body, just give yourself a little mental or physical hug, an energetic hug and say, you're doing fine. <laughs> you're doing great. I'm proud of you. This may feel cringy or awkward or hard, but I promise you it's a worthwhile practice, especially as we go into this conversation about neurodivergence and how pervasive it is. Um, and just the theme of this whole month, of this month of episodes and content is centered around self-compassion. I mean, all my work is centered around self-compassion and self-love. But especially this, because neurodivergence, neurodiversity is about accepting the things we can't control. And the problem with neurotypical centered culture, and I think that the idea or the expectations grounded in quote unquote neurotypical, I think that is yet another device of the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy designed to keep us feeling like not enough. So let's just release that. <laughs> to be a neurotypical means that you have a like a sort of standard functioning brain, you know, like you're for all intents and purposes, and I'm saying this facetiously normal. But in a neurodiversity um, mindset or like energy or culture, I think like, I don't know, think of neurodivergence as anything that changed, like any way that your brain functions differently. So in my, in my estimation of, or my understanding, according to my data and observations, <laughs> a neurodivergent brain can be someone with anxiety, someone with depression, someone with bipolar disorder, someone with PTSD or CPTSD, someone with OCD, an autistic person, an ADHD person, um, and the various, and so many other things. You know, like if your brain works differently, then you are neurodivergent. And I always say in these episodes that I really believe that there's not a person walking this earth who isn't traumatized in some way, who hasn't been a generational victim of the white supremacist capitalist's heteropatriarchy from before they were created, from before they were an idea. We've all, and you know, even if you believe in reincarnation, like we've come here, our souls have come here again and again and again and again and lived out generational trauma, mostly rooted in the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy, like since colonization began, 
having a hard time with my words today, y'all. Since colonization began, the vehicle of the white supremacist capitalist's heteropatriarchy has been at work and doing damage and causing drama. Trauma, not drama, although drama as well. <laughs> so everyone is traumatized. And if everyone is traumatized and if trauma changes the way a brain works, thereby being neurodiverse, then that would mean that pretty much everyone has a neurodivergent brain, which would mean that the idea of a neurotypical doesn't actually exist. Let's talk a little bit about the capitalism aspect of the white supremacist capitalist's heteropatriarchy and how neurotypical works with that. Um, as an illusion, as a standard that's unachievable, and how really what that diagnosis means is that you're able to contribute to the machine of capitalism without having it negatively affect you. Like you can show up to your job every day, do your job every day to the best of your ability, you can bring home your paycheck, you can pay your bills, you can quote unquote take care of yourself. That's what it means, really, if we break it down, because so much of the idea that we look at things like mental illness or, you know, neurodivergence, like to me it's the same thing, but I'm not a doctor. <laughs> this is just my like philosophy because this is my show. To quote Adam Sandler and the Wedding Singer, I have the microphone, so you will listen to every goddamn word I have to say. <laughs> um, I think that it, at least with autism especially and ADHD, those are like the ones that are getting a, like a big, there's a big movement in people realizing that they're autistic or realizing that they're ADHD because the internet has allowed people to share their own personal experiences of being those things, of getting a diagnosis, of living and coping with them. And, and finding the beauty and joy in them and then sharing that information with others who then see themselves in the information and then they share with others and they see themselves with that information. So, uh, so on and so on and so on. So it's not that it's a trend, it's not that it's popular, it's just that visibility begets visibility and information begets people learning, <laughs> obviously. And so if you see more of it, it's not because it's, it's necessarily cool or that people are just jumping on some kind of bandwagon trying to be special or whatever. It's, it's more about accessibility of information and people being able to see themselves in the information being conveyed about individual experience and not about a doctor who is more or less neurotypical, observing the behavior of someone who is not, who's usually a kid. So if you miss the bus on getting diagnosed or evaluated as a kid, then it's much harder to, um, to access a diagnosis later in life, especially if you think about the level of accessibility um, and like variations in that level of accessibility of healthcare based on overlapping Venn diagrams of oppression. So like, <laughs> if you're poor, you're not gonna have healthcare that covers mental health. 
um, and that there and black and brown people tend to be like poor more often than white people. Ditto with straight and cis and queer people. Like the more marginalized you are typically in society, the less access to money and resources you have. And that's how the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy works together. That's the that's sort of the shadow side, the the um like if intersectionality is is the light, it's the shadow side of that. It's all the various ways in which we're oppressed. Um, and so that makes access to this information and to professionals and to medication and to even in school, um, like resources, like various kinds of like therapy and stuff like that. Um, like, what if your school system system is um, is really poor? What if they don't have, even have these kinds of therapists and resources? What if you live in a place that doesn't prioritize education or special education financially? And so, or like, what if you're still in one of those like antiquated places where um, they don't really see this as an issue? Or what if you're just in a place with parents that just tell you to suck it up you know like there's just so and this, even parents can turn down help because they don't want the stigma attached to their child so there's just a lot against us as neurodivergent people but this feels a little bit like a um a tangent but it's not i just get really fired up thinking about this because of the beauty of neurodivergence and how it's just seen as this bad thing because it makes you a little or sometimes a lot less willing or a lot less able to contribute to capitalism in the way that's valued by capitalism. <laughs> and so that's why I kind of believe that kind of like perfectly straight, perfectly cis, perfectly white, <laughs> perfectly whatever, like a perfect patriarchal female woman person, you know, like, none of these things actually exist. They're illusions, they're impossible expectations put in place to keep us all striving to get there, to be closer to those ideals, those standards, those limits, those illusions than the people next to us. And that's what keeps us fighting amongst each other for tiny little crumbs when a bunch of people at the top are hogging most of the pie. And, um, and that's just like, you know, that's just, that's how capitalism is set up. Um, we're just here to contribute to the machine that puts most of the resources and money into people's pockets who are already rich so that they can attain more power and more control over us and our resource, which is our time, our energy, our lives. Um, and I think that's fucking unfair. And <laughs> I don't know. I think there's this capitalist mindset. Like anyone who grew up with like boomer parents, you know that their their philosophy, their like vibe was kind of like, suck it up. Like you're just lazy. 
you're a piece of shit. You're, why are you so stupid? Why is this so hard for you? Like, why can't you do anything right? Just like this, this punishment, this judgment, this persecution, this oppression, this you're a burden energy that's put on to everyone. But the more neurodivergent you are or were, the more of a burden you are or were, depending on like how old you are and and um, what your experience was. Obviously, that's not to say that all parents are terrible or all boomers, um, you know, are ableist in the way that they perceive how the world works. But I would say overwhelmingly so they are. Otherwise, more of us would have had this knowledge and these words to describe our experience much earlier on. And I understand where parents come from when they're concerned about a stigma um, because the world isn't kind. Like the grown-up capitalist world isn't kind to people who are neurodivergent. It's judgmental. It's harsh. It's... um, it's just not fair and again because we're all fighting for scraps we're so willing to gossip about one another and belittle one another and like weirdly tattle on one another to make ourselves feel and maybe even be more secure some bosses are known to facilitate and nurture these hyper competitive backbiting environments because they want everyone scrambling and they see a willingness to fuck other people over as dedication to the job um that's often seen by kind of sociopathic uh people in power as like a sign that you could maybe be one of them it's a sign of strength it's a sign of capability it's a sign of fight and fire and It just doesn't really lend itself to like a kind and nurturing or even sustainable place. You know, when you're looking for jobs, um, a red flag is a place that doesn't hold on to employees very long. Like a place that has a high turnover rate, it means it's not good to work there. And um, (laughs) I don't know. These toxic work environments, they're all rooted in like neurotypical ideas that don't, they just expect you to be like a machine, to have no feelings, to never get sick, to never get tired, to never get burnt out, to never need a day off, to never take vacations, to not take breaks, to like not ever need to sit down, to not ever need to be late on a deadline or like miss a a meeting. I don't know. It's just... To me, it feels impossible, but <laughs> it's it's hard for me to put in a 40-hour week. It's like nearly impossible, honestly, for me to put in a 40-hour week. Um, and that's just because I'm neurodivergent and chronically ill, and those things work together in order to make working very hard for me. That isn't to say that I don't work, because I do, and when I'm... This is the beauty of neurodivergence. Like, if I am left alone, (laughs) if I'm not worried about money, if I'm not wasting my time on a job I don't care about that much, the, the amount of work I can create, the like amount I can do, how quickly I can do it, how deeply immersed in it I get, 
is unreal. It's like inhuman, honestly. That dedication, that loyalty, that fight, that like drive, that tenacity, like all of that is in me and it comes totally naturally. When I'm doing something I love, when I'm doing something I enjoy and that I'm interested in. Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to be like my art, although <laughs> it kind of is for me, but I think like, like, have you ever had a boss that severely micromanaged you and it just made your skin crawl? Like it just made you anxious and nervous and and like stressed out and wanting to cry and like every tiny criticism you get you feel like is the end of the world and you're just like on pins and needles but when left alone to like problem solve to figure things out to decide how something should be carried out you thrive you know like under you would think under micromanagement you are better, you perform better, that's what they believe, right? That's why they do that. They're, they're like, I need to closely watch over you and monitor and criticize everything you do because if I don't, you might not do it. Or even if you do it, you might not do it, right? But in reality, the more freedom they give you, the more they leave you alone, the better a job you're able to do. That is the beauty of neurodivergence. It's like leave someone with ADHD alone with a project and not only will it get done faster than you think it should, but it will be done in a totally creative way that your little supervisor mind, your little <laughs> neurotypical quote unquote supervisor mind wouldn't even have come up with in a bajillion years. Like just let people rock it out the way that they need and want to. Stop micromanaging them. Stop trying to make everyone work the same. Like we don't all work the same. In fact, I would put myself out on a limb and say that no two of us work the same. Everybody has their own way of processing, their own way of seeing the world, their own way of doing things, their own order they like to do things in, their own environment they like to create in order to work. Some people like to sit at a desk. Some people like to work from bed. Some people need to listen to a meeting or a class as they're walking around. Some people need to doodle. Some people can have multiple conversations at one time because they need like that much stimulation in order to process. Some people need a long break, but then they'll work nonstop for three days and get everything done right then. Like, <laughs> I think that that's amazing. The actual only bummer about being neurodivergent is those capitalistic expectations. That's what runs schools, right? Like at school, we're not really there to learn how to critical think. I'm talking about like, you know, K through 12 school. We're not really learning how to critical think. We're not learning how to be good people. We're not learning how to process emotions. We're not learning even like a trade or a skill. What we're learning is how to conform. You know, how to go to work every day, how to spend most of our lives engaged in um, like sort of stationary, docile activity, how to follow directions, um, 
yeah, how to conform, how to fall in line. And the kids who had the hardest time with that are also often the kids who have the hardest time in society. And, you know, most like neurodivergent um, ways of being are like coincide with others. Like if you have autism, you're likely that it's likely that you also have ADHD. If you have both of those, it's probably likely that you'll have anxiety or depression. Bipolar disorder is basically swinging between anxiety and depression. Um, and that can also coincide with autism and or ADHD. <laughs> like they all work together. Um, or not always as a rule, but if you have one, that means that you have usually experienced another kind or another like form or embody multiple at once. And um, obviously these labels are, you know, they're just tools to describe an experience. So to think of them as like hard and fast is actually incorrect. Like, autism activists always say, like, if you know one person with autism, you know, you know, I don't, I just use, like, person first language, so let me backtrack. If you know one autistic person, you know exactly one autistic person. Every single autistic person is completely different, and their, um, their autism expresses in completely different ways. What works for one person, and like, listen to this language, it's true across the board. What works for one person or one child, is or one animal, right, is it gonna work for all the others? Like, everyone is different, and they're gonna do things and perceive things differently. It's kind of like my purple. When I look at the color purple and my brain goes purple, it might be different than what you are seeing. And like, it blows my mind sometimes to think about that and how like there's no way that we can confirm that we're seeing the same purple. Like even if we're both looking at the same picture, we don't know what the other person's brain sees. And that's why I think it's really arrogant <laughs> of a system to insist that there's a right way to do things and that any other way to do things is wrong. But that's what we're living in, people. That's what we're dealing with. The only bummer to being neurodivergent actually is the expectations, is the threat of not surviving because you don't have what you need in order to survive. Is that some things aren't available um, as far as resources or like, you know, it's kind of like, let's just talk about my own experience. Like, because I'm autistic, it's really hard for me to move about the city. I live in New York and like the traffic is loud. The smells are horrible. The <laughs> trains are loud. There's a lot of steps that's that's more has to do with my um, physical 
chronic illness, but regardless, I'm putting it on the fucking list. <laughs> Going to shows is hard for me because I feel like socializing like once a year. Um, so in order to go, I have to force myself and I usually have to self-medicate with either drinking or being stoned. When I am trying to do this sobriety thing, that is off the table and I am much less likely to go out. But all like making it in music in this city requires networking. People get offended if you don't go to their events. People forget about you if you're not in their face. They take it personally if you can't consistently be there. And it hurts your ability to make progress in the long run. A beautiful thing that was happening at the beginning of COVID when we had all these like worldwide lockdowns was that everything that used to be in person was all of a sudden virtual. And so many more people were getting to participate in things that they couldn't before because of limitations as far as their disability. And like, I think that is the hardest part about being disabled is that the world isn't built for you and that for you to participate in things that neurotypical or able-bodied people take for granted, it, it's, it requires twice as much work on your part. And, and that's why, like, I love everything about my autism. I love that I can hear sounds that most people can't hear. I love that I have this childlike energy that no matter how old I get, I stay in this sense of wonder at the world around me. I love my ability to have a nine hour conversation without taking a break. I love that I'm never just like mildly interested in something. If I'm into something, I have to learn everything about it. I love how deeply I bond with animals. I love the way that I can prolifically create art. I love that my brain is constantly processing. I love that I remember details about people I knew when I was four. Like, I love how I can read and be transported to a different place. I just, I love myself. I love who I am. And also, I don't know any other way of being except for what I had to work really, really hard to pretend I was. And honestly, that was no fun. I have much more fun now that I'm just like chill in who I actually am. What makes it hard, what's made me sad in the past is masking, is pretending to be neurotypical, is pretending I understand the social cues and the social rules that no one has taught me that everyone else seems to know and I don't. Um, being expected to sit still, being expected to remember all these rules, <laughs> being expected to read people's minds, like that is what hurts me because that makes me feel like I'm falling short because other people and, and the systems at large have these expectations that I cannot meet. And that bums me out. Being autistic doesn't bum me out. Being probably ADHD doesn't bum me out. <laughs> Being a burden bums me out. Being a disappointment bums me out. And not, you know, not for everything to end up back at <laughs> universal basic income and like a kind of mutual aid society where 
resources aren't kept from some because they can't afford them or that did you know that if someone's on disability they can't get married or they can't have over two thousand dollars in their bank account like people act like being on disability is like you're living in the lap of luxury because you don't have to physically go to work but your life is limited it's just like being on social security like it's a fixed income there are things that you'll never have access to because you're in this um purposefully stripped bare um cover your basic needs like Base. It's on purpose. Like they don't want people to thrive um, without working. They want to almost like make it just, just this side of comfortable um, so that you might prefer to like force yourself to work even though it has negative consequences for you. Um, then rely on this resource that should be helpful. Like it should be beautiful. It should be more than it is. And I just think that neurodivergent, like neurodiversity is just misunderstood and like, I just wish that everyone on earth would unpack the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy in their brain. Like just deprogram it. Just see things differently. You know, just don't look at <laughs> someone info dumping on you about their special interest as like, oh, look at this conversation hog like look at this glutton for attention <laughs> like look at this weirdo look at this freak sharing something boring with me like look at it as like wow look at how much information this person can hold in their brain or <laughs> I don't know just like see the beauty in it like we walk around really projecting standards on each other that we don't live up to ourselves like because they're impossible to live up to it's impossible to be infinitely productive you need rest you need breaks you need to shut down sometimes you are a human being in a physical vessel that has limitations that has boundaries that has consequences like you are you it is necessary to continue being um, and to be joyfully it's necessary to treat yourself with kindness and patience and compassion and care but to suggest that while ignoring the fact that we are all struggling in this system that purposefully withholds what we need to live comfortable lives despite there being overwhelming abundance of resources like do not get it twisted y'all scarcity is created by the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy scarcity is again an illusion it's a lie it's a state of being that is created by the powers that be the earth gives us everything we need 
there could be a house for every houseless person. Like that exists. We just choose not to do it. Well, not we, because, okay, I'm also sick of personal responsibility being put on the individual for things like climate change, economic collapse, COVID getting worse. Like I'm sick of that because it's not our fault. (laughs) We don't hold any power. Again, we're fighting for crumbs down here. Let's turn the fault and the burden of the responsibility of creating this situation and maintaining this situation on our government officials and the people with all the money and the advertisers and the owners of the companies. Like, let's put the burden of the responsibility and the blame on them because they created this. It's their fault. It's not ours. And it's not your neighbors for not being vegan. (laughs) And it's not your best friend for drinking out of plastic. Like, there's little things that we can all do in our lives that might make us feel a little better, that might make us you know, feel like we're helping and doing our part and that's beautiful. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do anything. I'm, if you're so inclined, help, you know, go pick up trash, plant a tree, switch, you know, go plastic free, go vegan, like <laughs> definitely help. But I'm just saying that it's not our fault. We did not create this situation. There's a lot of people with a lot of money who created this situation. And the more we stop pointing fingers at each other and point the fingers at them, maybe the more quickly things will change. Although I'm getting less hopeful by the day, not to be a bummer. (laughs) But tangents aside, (laughs) the beauty of neurodiversity is that we are the most concrete proof that we are each one facet of the great whole of the energy of the universe. Like, it's really tough. Like, masking is definitely a thing. Like, when you're neurodivergent, you have to pretend to be neurotypical in order to fit in, in order to pass school, in order to get a job. Like we're all our most neurotypical at a job interview, right? When we need money. Um, but it's just pretending. And the, the inability to continue pretending like sustainably, like forever, um, means that we are most of the time fully and unapologetically ourselves and that's probably been that's my most proud like character trait I have and it's my and I know that I owe it to being autistic is that I am myself no matter who I'm with my personality doesn't change based on which company I'm keeping I just am myself, I show up as myself with my, like, like, jarring outfits and my weed socks and my bitch and cunt tattoos and my quirky personality, like, all of me shows up every single time. 
and while that definitely puts some people off and has definitely led to a lot of social and professional rejection, just like my speaking my truth has, um, it's worth it because I don't know how to be any other way. Like I, I'm just not good at faith in the funk. And I think that is an aspect of neurodiversity that is truly beautiful, is just the sheer unfiltered individuality. And that doesn't mean being an asshole. Like it doesn't mean being unkind. It doesn't mean hurting people's feelings or being a bully, but it just means that that the societal filter is a little bit more difficult to maintain and therefore more of the authenticity seeps through. I think that's why there seems to be a correlation between mental illness and genius. <laughs> um, I think the mental illness part is like societal perception of of sensitivity, of feeling your feelings. That's not to say that someone like Vincent Van Gogh wasn't mentally ill and didn't need treatment. Obviously he did. And if he didn't get what he needed, that's probably society's fault. Cause again, there's people with a lot of power who hold on to those resources and hoard them so that none of us can access them. Um, or someone like Kurt Cobain, you know, like when someone needs help, they should get help. But that again, like that's not the individual's fault. That's usually most often the system's fault. But that's to say that like neurotypicals can see behavior that is neurodivergent and go bad, wrong, like crazy. You know, they can come up with all manner of judgments in order to make it other. And you know what, like, spirituality says, spirituality says if, if you see something in someone else that makes you feel hatred, that makes you feel judgmental, that makes you feel disdain, it's probably because you see a little bit of yourself in that. And that the what you're really judging is that aspect of yourself and your own personality. So you should pay attention to who makes you feel those types of ways because they're probably giving you a little peek into some parts about yourself that maybe you'd like to change. Um, I That's how I feel. Like, I feel like the people who have bullied me the most, like the hardest core, have been people who have a really hard time being authentic. They're people who who really put on a persona, who really try to be what they think people want them to be. They try to be the version of themselves that's most likely to be successful. They try to be, you know, they try to appear like a good person without actually doing the work to be a good person. Um, they try to appear confident without fostering confidence. Like it's just an act, um, which I guess is masking, but the people that really hate my individuality to such a degree that they want to kind of um, berate it out of me are people who have a hard time accessing that authenticity and individuality within themselves. And that kind of makes me sad for them because maybe if they felt more comfortable being who they were 
honestly and vulnerably, they wouldn't be so angry all the time and they wouldn't be projecting on everybody else so hard. So we got individuality, we got creativity, we've got working outside of linear time, you know? <laughs> we've got we've got sensitivity in the way that you know, maybe you can't just force yourself to to work the way that capitalist neurotypical society wants you to work. You know, you can't do it. I think that's beautiful because you know what that makes you? An anti-capitalist. You know what that makes you? A non-conformist. You know what that makes you? It makes you question the the rules, the expectations that you should put yourself at harm's way, in exhaustion's way, in illness's way, in order to make some other motherfucker money. You know, it makes you less likely to participate in those systems unconsciously. And I think that discomfort, while definitely I don't want to minimize the struggle, believe me, every time I have come close to uh, killing myself, it's been like largely influenced by capitalism and by the hopelessness that I would ever figure it out. Like it's so hard for me to work in a social setting because people think I'm weird because I do and say the wrong things because I look like I should know the rules of society. So when I fuck up, people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) What are you doing? Like they just can't handle it that I'm not perfect or that I'm that I just work differently it makes people upset it gets me in trouble I'm you know I may be a little flaky or forgetful because I'm living in my dream world in my brain (laughs) um it's just hard for me anyway the beauty of neurodiversity is that Everybody's brain is its own microcosm of the universe. And that is the way it should be. That is that is the way it is and that is the way it should be. And I think that just like at the end of my autism episode, like I hate to be a broken record on different episodes, but But it's so important, like, let's release our expectations. Let's just let everyone else be. If you find yourself judging yourself, like I said in the guided meditation, catch yourself thinking those thoughts, take a minute, take a breath, and then try to replace or redirect those thoughts in a more positive direction. If you find yourself judging someone else, stop take a breath (laughs) and redirect those thoughts into something more positive. If you have a waitress who's being really rude and short, instead of being like, I'm going to try to get her fired or I'm going to leave her a shitty tip, think this person must be having a rough day and leave a little bit extra. Be really kind back, you know? (laughs) If you're out and someone is someone who's working in a store you go to is talking your ear off about a topic you don't care about consider maybe that they're not weird maybe that they're not creepy maybe they're just autistic and if you listen 
you might learn something. If you don't have time to listen, take it upon yourself to say, thank you so much, but I'm in a hurry. (laughs) Have a great day. Like, don't be an asshole. Just like treat everyone like an autonomous, beautiful, multifaceted, and important to our own experience here on this planet, piece of the universe. We are a community sharing space, sharing time, sharing energy, and actually spirituality says that we are all one. We are all connected. What you do to someone else, you feel inside you. What you feel for someone else, you feel inside you. What someone does to you, they feel within themselves. And that trickles out like um, like a ripple in water. And don't you want to be a positive force of that energy? You know, don't you want to be like a beautiful raindrop or the little little touch of dragonfly feet (laughs) you know you don't want to be like bird poop (laughs) although i guess there is place for all things in the great cycle of life i just i just know within my whole being that the more loving i become the more accepting i become And it's not to say I'm perfect. I'm not like Jesus, you know what I mean? I get frustrated, I get in a bad mood. I curse up a storm. Occasionally I tell someone off, you know, like I get short with people, I get an attitude. Um, (laughs) I'm a human being and I'm also autistic. So a lot annoys me that wouldn't annoy someone who wasn't autistic or who wasn't autistic in the same way as me. I can't stand loud noises. I can't stand harsh light. I can't stand uncomfortable fabric. I can't stand someone sitting too close to me. I can't stand sometimes someone walking on the same sidewalk as me. Like, I have a lot. I have a very low threshold for annoyance. (laughs) But when I catch myself being a jerk, I kind of laugh. I give myself a little chuckle at my ego, at my judgment, at my very flawed humanness, and I shake it off and I remember that I'm no more important, I'm no more entitled, I'm no more in a hurry, I'm just no more here than anyone else existing in the space with me. In fact, we are all having our own unique, multi-dimensional, you know, (laughs) multifaceted, like, spectrum of an experience. We all have vast and beautiful and ever-unfolding lives. We all have loved ones. We all have passions. We all have things we think are funny. We all have different sounding farts. We have different taste buds. We have different eyeballs. We have different hair that grows out of our head. We have different ways of smelling. We have different ways of being. We have different voices. We have different energy. And like when I stop 
and get that bird's eye view, that cosmic consciousness wavelength of love, <laughs> life is beautiful. And while I don't know if if on, a, on an individual basis, if just that would have an effect on the world and how we see each other, you know, I don't know. I don't know how far this thing goes. <laughs> I'm just a person on a couch, um, talking to the air. But <laughs> I do know that it makes my life more beautiful. It makes me more able to love and receive love and believe I am worthy of love. It helps me stop the generational cycles of trauma that I have been a victim of. It stops me from perpetuating those. It helps me see the mistakes I've made in the past and correct them. It helps me just grow more compassionate with every day, with every interaction, with every bit of information I learn and for every expectation that I throw out the window life becomes better. And if I'm happier and I'm more myself and I'm more confident and I go out into the world and people are gonna see me doing that and they're gonna wanna do that too. They're gonna go, wow, that's possible. Or if I give someone a, a perspective on something, you know, like they tell me they're having a hard time doing this and I'm like, well, have you ever looked at it like this? And they're like, wow, I never thought about it like that. And then they carry that through their day and then they pass that piece of advice to someone else because you'd be surprised at how connected we truly are. You know, if you pay attention, you'll see that because of the astrology, because of just like energy, because of the collective consciousness, like we're often processing similar things at similar moments. If I'm walking through the park and I just like have my headphones off and I'm just listening to the sounds, I'll sometimes hear like multiple conversations of people who are talking about the same things I've been thinking about and processing and I'll just be like wow thank you that is the universe at work through them for me through me for them through all of us for us for each other for the universe <laughs> and that's beautiful so if you find yourself looking at the people around you and going why does life seem so much easier for them than it does for me? Why are they able to understand how to do stuff that I just don't get? Why do they have so much more energy for this or that? How come they can fill out a piece of paperwork without needing six weeks to prepare? How come they can like leave the house without needing to think about it for, you know, several hours? <laughs> How come they can do more than one thing in a day? How come they don't seem sad all the time? You know, just like stop comparing and just think maybe I'm neurodivergent. Maybe I'm just made different. Maybe my brain functions differently. And maybe that's for a reason. Maybe I should adjust my expectations because maybe what they're capable of isn't what I'm capable of but also maybe what I'm capable of, they aren't. It's not to say don't get help if you need it. It's not to say that it's a bowl of cherries, <laughs> this neurodivergent life, but it is to say that being less judgmental 
having a release of expectations just makes life a little easier. <laughs> and and just not putting so much importance on on being good at capitalism or the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy like putting less importance on that just helps us love ourselves a little bit more and helps us love each other a little bit more so I think it's worth doing worth exploring I hope this week you can find ways to be more gentle and more loving with yourself I hope that you can find ways to be more gentle and more loving with the people around you. I hope you can find a little more patience, a little more joy, and a little more weirdness. (laughs) Embrace the beautiful, perfect, multifaceted, imperfect you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow me on Instagram, that's at Brit underscore that's underscore it. Twitter is the same thing with an extra Instagram. I mean, (laughs) underscore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Check out my website, BritCannon.me for lots of content. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for stopping by.